Hi, everybody. It's Neil and Cheryl Josephson from Family Life Canada. We want to thank you for tuning in and even more for investing in your parenting journey. We built this workshop for you to provide real hope, practical help, and proven wisdom for you and your family. Now, just listen, learn, and then live it. Hi, welcome. My name is Dr. Barbara Wilson, and I'm really excited to be with you today and talking about when anxiety or stress overwhelms your child, what can you do to help? I really want to encourage you today that if you're here because you have a child that's experiencing anxiety, I want to give you some tools on how you can help them beginning right now. But also to know, is this something that has become more serious that you might need to seek professional help for? So first, a little bit about myself. I'm married to my husband, almost 42 years. We have four children who are now adults, three daughter-in-laws and seven grandchildren. I began my career many years ago as an elementary teacher and then became a sexual health educator in high schools and colleges. That led to writing about the brain and sex and how um, those past experiences, whether from our own choices or abuse or trauma can impact us um, in the future and how to have healing from that, including if one or both um, in a couple have brought that into their marriages, how to have healing in their marriages. A few years ago, I actually went back to get my doctorate in clinical psychology and I now am a licensed clinical psychologist with my own private practice. And I work with children, teens, and adults who have various mental health issues, including anxiety. I also frequently contribute to Family Life Canada's online articles, including topics on anxiety, if it's impacting your marriage, and also if you have a child with anxiety, how you can help. In addition, I also know what anxiety feels like and anxiety has become one of the most frequent mental health concern that people seek professional help for. And in fact, most of the people that I see in my office, regardless of why they're coming in, often have some anxiety that is contributing to their distress. So as we get started, I just want to encourage you, first of all, that anxiety is one of the most treatable conditions that we have. And I really love helping children, adults, and teenagers learn how to manage and control their anxiety and really have some freedom from how it can begin to restrict their life. That's the one thing about anxiety. It makes your life smaller. It starts to not only rob you, of your joy, but it also makes your life smaller because it's harder to go and do the things that you wanna do. So let's begin. First, I wanna just tell you a little bit about the difference between stress and anxiety. We all have stress, it's normal. We experience stress probably sometimes every day with relationship stress, work, school, um, when things go wrong or break, those are all stressful things. But usually when those problems are resolved, that anxiety from that stress goes away. However, anxiety is a little bit different. Anxiety is 
it kind of activates that fight or flight system that we have in our in our brain to help our bodies kind of prepare for some sort of action um, to get us to do something or to protect ourselves. But when anxiety starts to overwhelm that part of the brain, um, it can actually begin to cause some very distressing symptoms and begin to take over our lives. So how do we know when anxiety, you know, begins to become more serious? Well, interestingly, although we all experience anxiety, anxiety that becomes distressing is when we begin to have this uneasiness or worry about things that might happen in the future. And it can cause this fear and agitation, even when things are going okay. And that's one of the differences. It's like your mind is constantly trying to prepare for that possible thing that might happen. And so often, you know, a lot of anxiety worries begin with the words, what if? Something that might happen in the future. And it becomes this spiral that kind of leads us to this worst case scenario of some impending dread of something that might happen. And that can begin to paralyze your child from doing the things that they want to do, whether it's going out to school, whether it's going to a friend's house, whether it's trying a new sport, whether it's you know speaking up in class, whatever it is, it can begin to paralyze your child from doing those things which causes you and them more stress. So anxiety tends to overestimate the danger of what might happen, and it underestimates our ability to cope. So in other words, at the most primitive and even unconscious level, our anxious brain convinces us that the worst possible thing not only might happen, but will happen, and that when it does, we definitely won't be able to cope. So if you have children, you know that childhood fears and worries are normal. They're afraid of the dark, monsters under their bed, loud, scary noises, being away from mom and dad. And thankfully, those a lot of those fears resolve as they get older. But you might notice for some of your children that around five or six, they begin to recognize that danger exists and they're not quite sure that their parents will always be there to protect them. And even though this is really frustrating, concerning, it's a good time to start assuring your child that they are safe and help them to develop that courage to face those fears with confidence and strength. If we dismiss their fears kind of at that really um, crucial time of development in their life or leave them to conquer them alone, their fears can intensify. So, you know, it's just simply validating their fears and saying, you know, I understand but that you're scary, but you don't need to be and you can bolster their confidence that they can have the courage to face their fears. When we acknowledge our child's fear and give them the confidence that they can deal with these feelings, we're helping them learn a valuable and important skill, how to regulate and soothe their emotions. This is very important as they grow and face new challenges such as high school, friendships, etc. I find that a lot of adults who come into my office who were never taught this skill find that now it's become a liability in their relationships because they don't know how to manage those intense emotions that they feel and often end up taking it out on the people that they care about the most. 
In addition, by not accommodating our child's fears and worries, we're providing them opportunities to have positive experiences that negate their fears. Now, what do I mean about not accommodating? So on the one hand, I said, you can at you know, younger age with normal fears, just reassure your child that they're safe, they're okay. Um, but when it becomes, you know, anxiety that crosses that threshold, when we accommodate constantly throughout the day, every time that child brings up that fear and worry, we're actually helping that uh, fear and worry grow. But when we don't constantly accommodate that, and we'll talk about that a little bit in a little bit about some of my tools on how to help, we're actually giving them an opportunity to have a positive experience that can negate their fear. So for an example, let's say your child's at a party and they get sick and throw up, but it's months later and they're still refusing to leave home or go to events alone. Their brain is in this panic with the thought, what if I get sick again? I'll throw up and then they just decide it's safer to stay home. By giving into this anxiety, the child believes that you agree it could happen and that they should be worried. But even more, when we confirm their fear that they won't be able to cope with this uncomfortable feeling, that also makes them feel like I need to be worried because I won't be able to handle this. I call it the bully brain and we all have one. And helping your child begin to recognize what their bully brain says to them and then learning how to shut it down with some tools that I'm going to explain, you can begin to prepare them to manage this anxiety that's trying to rob them of their joy and freedom. Thankfully, most children grow out of their childhood fears. And as they develop more confidence and feel more competent, their fears naturally subside. But for that child that progresses into more um, anxiety that becomes concerning, their fears multiply, multiply and begin to creep into their ability to function throughout the day. You know, the Child Mind Institute estimates that of the 17 million children in the U.S. with a psychiatric disorder, the highest percentage suffer from some type of anxiety. And I have seen that in my office as well. So if you're the parent of an anxious child, they may be feeling discouraged and powerless, especially if you've tried everything you can think of, but you're still unable to provide the assurance and help that they need. I want to encourage you, first of all, you are helping. You are helping, even if it doesn't feel like it. And most importantly, there is hope and healing for your child. So how do you know if your child is experiencing anxiety? Unfortunately, they don't often just communicate exactly what they're feeling or why. And often many adults aren't able to communicate their feelings either. But anxiety is not isolated just to the brain. It affects our entire body. A child or teen will most likely show you that they have anxiety rather than tell you. So what are some of the signs of anxiety? They may be more irritable than usual. They may have extreme responses to benign events, including some temper tantrums. They may have stomach aches frequently. They have trouble falling or staying asleep. They may not wanna leave home or go to school. They may have changes in their appetite. Um, their schoolwork might suffer. They may begin to seek reassurance several times a day regarding their safety, 
or their health or your safety, etc. You may find that they begin to isolate more, wanting to stay in their rooms, not want to be with their friends. They may, may begin to have irrational worries about themselves, you or the world in general. They may cry a lot, be resistant to try new things. They may experience a variety of somatic symptoms like heart racing, trouble breathing, dizziness, nausea, sweating, feeling hot and clammy, and having difficulty concentrating or even feeling muscle tension or pain. Believe it or not, these are all symptoms of anxiety. However, they can also be symptoms of other things. But when excluding all medical conditions, most often these are examples of what anxiety can feel like in the body. I love to teach children how to become more aware of their bodies and how to start to recognize when anxiety is taking over in their body. I always tell them that, you know, our bodies are our friends. They give us a clue when we're beginning to feel that anxiety. And so when, when your child or teenager is beginning to really experience debilitating symptoms that affect them day after day, that may be a time, you know, to seek some professional help. Obviously ruling out anything medical first, but then seeing a psychologist or um, a licensed therapist can help provide you and your child with the support and tools that you need. So let me give you, you know, kind of a little example of what I do when I first see a child that comes in with anxiety. First of all, I want to know when did it begin? There's usually a beginning point. Your child wasn't born anxious. Yes, it can be, you know, hereditary. Some studies have shown that. But there is often a beginning point. And often people, you know, they don't connect the dots that this anxiety started after this certain event or something that happened. For example, the child that went out to a party and threw up, that was the beginning of that person's anxiety. He may have been, had some predisposition to have anxiety, but there was that starting point, that beginning trigger or event. Then I wanna know exactly what kind of symptoms, you know, what is your child or teen's greatest underlying fear and how are they experiencing that in their body? How are they experiencing that in some of those symptoms? Uh, what do they do or not wanna do because of their anxiety? You know, sometimes the things that we try to do to cope with anxiety can actually make it worse, such as seeking constant reassurance, ruminating about the worry over and over in your mind, or trying to just not think about it. Or some children may go on to develop compulsive behaviors to try and make that anxious thought go away. I call, you know, that's that kind of transitioning more into some obsessive compulsive behavior, which I kind of call anxiety on steroids. And once I have this information, I begin to help the whole family um, find more adaptive and healthy ways to manage their anxiety. So, so that's what anxiety is. That's how it might show up in your child. But what can you do to help right away? My first suggestion would be to start investigating some of the answers to the questions that I just went through that I look for. 
And then I would begin to look for, is this a general anxiety? So often with general anxiety, that fear or worry kind of transfers to a lot of things. They're worried about a lot of things, not just one thing. There's other kinds of anxiety that become more like a phobia, such as the example I gave about getting of throwing up or getting sick or being in public. Um, sometimes that anxiety can be isolated to one fear. But either way, the tools um, can be helpful for both of those kinds of anxiety. I would also look into what kind of things are your children watching, your children and teens watching, um, what have they experienced? Have they witnessed something scary that has triggered their anxiety? Some of these things may seem really insignificant to us, but can be, be very overwhelming to your child. Also, I do find that there's a lot of things children don't want to share with their parents. Um, it might be something that happened, um, something that they saw. You know, it's interesting, children really, really care about protecting their parents. They don't want them to worry. They don't want to give them, um, you know, more problems to deal with. It's fascinating to me, but your child really does care about how you're going to respond. And so sometimes seeing a therapist can be helpful because they don't feel that sense of need to protect the therapist and they are able to talk about the things that are really bothering them. So the next tip I have is the accommodating thing I was talking about. If you've been giving into your child's fear, for example, letting them stay home, con constantly reassuring them every time they ask for reassurance, it's time to limit or stop this. Now I know this is a hard one because we really love our children and sometimes Seeing them in distress is even more painful for us. I actually have a questionnaire that I'm going to include um, in my resources that can help you determine if, you know, maybe you're accommodating their fear too much. And it might be something you might find helpful to see what are some things that you can change. You know, I had a child who during COVID would ask her parents over 70 times a day if she was sick or getting COVID. With help, she was able to reduce this to once or twice every two weeks and then finally stopped. And it's been quite a while since I've seen her. So I know that this can really help. And I really encourage you, even though it might be hard at first to try that little tip. Another thing that would be helpful is to kind of just acknowledge with your child that, you know, this, this is a bully brain and help them recognize some of the ways that bully brain tries to make them feel anxious and, and afraid. I start to teach children how to look at their worries from, more, from a more logical perspective, like how rational, how logical is it that this is going to happen? And so, because worries are irrational. These, this anxiety, it's this irrational or hypothetical worry of something that might happen. And often we can, you know, refute that just using logic. And that, and I find that children seem to really respond well to that. Um, if you're, you, if it's a teenager, an older child, you know, they really can begin to understand more ab abstract thinking about the difference between a hypothetical worry, which is a worry that hasn't happened yet, 
as opposed to a realistic worry, something that's in the present that has a solution. Now for younger children, um, I'll often get them to give their bully brain a name or even draw an image of it so they have something visual, you know, teaching them to talk back to their bully brain, like telling it to stop, get out of here, you're lying to me, and then replacing that bully brain thought with something that's truthful and logical. I mentioned the body symptoms that children can experience and adults when they have their anxiety has been triggered. And so I start to teach children, what are some of the different ways that your body feels when you're experiencing anxiety? And as they become more aware of that, they're able to start noticing when that's happening. And once children begin to realize when anxiety is beginning to impact their, their bodies, then I teach them some tools of what they can do to help release that anxiety or calm that anxiety down. There's two ways that we can deal with anxiety in the moment. First of all, physical activity. Any kind of physical activity helps release cortisol, which is the buildup that kind of contributes to anxiety, but also helps our body release the positive calming you know, neurotransmitters like serotonin and norepinephrine and, and dopamine. So any kind of physical activity, you know, getting your child or teenager to get out Ride, it, ride their bike, play, play outside. Um, if that's not possible, doing some jumping jacks or getting them to do like a cardio, running up and down the stairs, anything that kind of releases that um, anxiety will be really helpful. Then there's some calming activities that they can do that help distract that bully brain. So finding things that make them feel, you know, good, make them feel calm, like drawing, playing, reading, anything like that. I teach them belly breathing, which is a really powerful, powerful kind of calming and purposeful breathing that actually can slow your heart rate down and allow more oxygen into your brain. Really powerful tool in the moment. And then another tip I use is mindfulness, um, where I help children and teenagers and adults. Yes, we. this is really powerful. I even use this for uh, people that have had trauma in their past, you know, imagining or drawing their happy, safe place, and then using that frequently to help begin to train their brain that they can calm their brain down, that their this anxiety is not in control, that they can control that. So this next tip is one of the most probably impactful tools that I've used with um, children and even adults. And that is to imagine a worry chest. So with younger kids, I'll get them actually to draw. They're, it's a worry chest where they're gonna place their worries in until worry time. So worry chest and worry time, these two go together. Very powerful tools. And so I teach children that worries are like tomato plants. The more attention we give to them, the more they grow. But when we stop, giving them attention, not only the potato, uh, tomato plant, but also that worry thought, they begin to wither and die. So the more your child focuses on their worry, the more the worries grow. But with worry time, we begin to teach your child how to limit their focus on the worry. So what you do is your child has something they're worried about. They come to you during the day 
And, but it's not worry time because you're going to set worry time later in the day, you know, maybe after dinner, you know, maybe before bed. Now, for some children, that might not be the best, but, you know, you guys, you know, figure that out, what works best for your family. And you say to them, that sounds like a worry. And let's save that for worry time. So right now I want you to put it in your worry box and I want you to go use one of your tools. Um, and, and we'll talk about this at worry time. And then later in the day, you set aside 15 to 20 minutes that you kind of keep consistent. So your child knows that she and, or he has an outlet for their worry. Often what, what, what you'll find is by the time you get to worry time, your child doesn't have so many worries. And when they go to get things out of their imaginary worry box, they're gonna realize they, boy, that worry is gone now. And that's a really powerful thing to be able to learn that when we don't give that worry some attention, we actually you know, take away its power and it actually leaves us. Let's say it's you know that situation where your child doesn't wanna leave the house. They've been invited to a party or you know, it's time to go to soccer practice or it's time to go to school and they just can't go. They get the stomach ache, you know, they get the heart racing. Um, they feel like they're going to throw up and that can be tough because that can, the more we give into that fear, that's when a child and, and an adult will begin to restrict their lives to the point where it's going to be difficult to leave the house. And the best way to overcome that is to help children validate that yes, this is hard, but that you'll be okay and that you will have your tools that you can use when you're feeling this way. So not giving into that fear is going to be important. Um, the more you do that, that child or a teenager will soon be, ha have a hard time to really try anything new in their life. So this is a hard one too, because consistency of course is the key. And um, as a parent, I know it's hard to be consistent, but I promise you that if you incorporate some of these things, especially that worry time, teaching your children some, you know, um, coping tools, and then sticking to that, you know, time to talk about your ch children or teens worries and not give in to that, your child is going to begin to not only develop some confidence that they can cope with these uncomfortable feelings, but some tools in learning how to take, you know, take back, take back their minds and not give into this bully brain and begin to find that these new experiences where they have positive outcomes will start to replace whatever kind of triggered this worry in the first place. When you have a child or teen that maybe is kind of just more anxious in general, they may have new triggers that come as, you know, they get older and face new challenges. But when you have taught them these tools early on, they will be, they will be able to go back to these tools when they've been reminded of them so that they can have um, some real success in the future if anxiety tries to take over again. I have several resources for you. So first of all, I have a couple of books for you to read as parents that are really, really helpful. And I'm going to include those kind of in the notes. 
Um, I also have a couple of great workbooks. One is for children, younger children. Um, and it just, that's one that talks about how worries are like tomatoes. And it's a workbook that you can actually work through with your ch child. I also have an online or digital um, workbook for teenagers that's more related to their age, but also helps you and them work through some of their anxiety together. And so I'm going to include those along with um, that little questionnaire on, are you accommodating your um, child's worries or fears? So in closing, you know, I just want to, first of all, wrap up with a couple of questions and then just give you some encouragement. So first of all, what, what has been the most helpful information you've learned today for your child or teen? And secondly, is there a tool that you've learned today that you feel like you can implement right away to help your anxious child or teen? And I would love to hear um, any of those, that feedback that you have to any of those questions. That would be really helpful for me as well. So to close, I just want to encourage you that I've given you some things that many parents don't really know about when it comes to anxiety. And sometimes we just try to, you know, um, push through on our own and that can really feel helpless and overwhelming. So I don't want you to be discouraged that maybe you haven't been doing the things you should. It, don't worry about that. Just start doing one of the things that I suggested today and you will begin fairly quickly actually to be able to find some success and some hope for you and your child. So thank you so much for listening and I look forward to hearing from you any comments that you have in any way that I can help in the future. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you're feeling encouraged and that you have some new tools to try out in your own parenting. Before you go, we want to remind you that our team is here for you to respond to your parenting questions and especially to pray for you. So please email your questions and any prayer requests you might have to questions at familylifecanada.com. We really do want to help.